0: Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're going through the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 22 today. We've had a few chapters now that have taken this shift of tone. Last time we saw we had three oracles all in one chapter, and it was kind of confusing. It was hard to say, now where exactly are we talking about here? When are we talking about Um, In the chapter before that, we kind of went on to this description of, you know, Isaiah walking around uh, dramatically, right? So we've had a couple of these chapters now where the tone has shifted. And today just kind of continues that, where it's a different tone. It's not very triumphant at all. It's, It's one of looking back at the recent past in shame. And you've got that shift going on. And yet this... I think is a little easier finally to put your finger on. This seems to be a little bit clearer in terms of, okay, we're talking about this particular event. We're familiar with that. Okay, we have a handle on this. There's some specific names of some people. So hopefully this in some ways will be a little easier getting our arms around. And today we have joining us for the first time at least joining me for the first time here we've got Pastor Robert Paul, pastor at Memorial uh, Lutheran Church in and school in Houston, Texas, uh, one of a few pastors there that they have good morning brother. welcome to thy strong word. good to have you with us today.
1: Good morning, thanks for having me on I'm Glad to be with you.
0: Yeah. So now, let me see. How long have you been there at at Memorial? Um, because I, you know, back way back when I actually had visited a few times back when I lived in Texas. But I, I think that maybe you are a more recent addition to the. Yeah. So there. <laughs> this is my my third school year. So we've been here two
1: years. I serve not only as associate pastor, but predominantly as headmaster of our uh-huh. school. So uh-huh. I, I teach Latin and religion and. Uh, take care of all the faculty and staff and our families from uh, infants all the way up through uh, eighth grade.
0: All right. Awesome. Okay. Very, very cool. Like running the school there. And that's, and of course that's just, I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great church. It's a great location right over there, right by the uh, Galleria, right? And, um, it's so, okay. You teach Latin and, uh, and I, I assume, um, Neo-Assyrian history, right? Because that would be handy for today.
1: <laughs> well, actually, that's on Sunday morning. But we're, we're doing the minor prophets. Um, I, I get to teach Bible class, and so we are starting Little Isaiah. We're starting Micah um, okay, very right good. now. Yeah. So, cool. yes, uh, it's fortuitous um, that we're yes. on Chapter 22 of Isaiah, then, uh, towards the looking at the mm-hmm. end of the southern kingdom.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, exactly. And um, there is, as we've seen, actually, there's there's a fair bit of overlap between between Micah and Isaiah, and especially in some of those earlier chapters, we saw that in a big Mm -hmm. way. And, and actually, last time we were looking at, you know, these kind of uh, mysterious, uh, this mysterious trio of oracles in Isaiah 21. Um, and I was pointing out how you get a bunch of overlap and parallels with Habakkuk. So I mean, Isaiah mm-hmm. tends to overlap. It seems, you know, Habakkuk, Micah, Jer- Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah seems to have something in common with just about all the prophets.
1: <laughs> Which is very, thank, it's very clever of the Holy Spirit, right? That, yes, that the that the prophets would be speaking the same word to the people to bring mm-hmm. about repentance. Uh, right. And trust in God's promises in the midst of um, many of the consequences they brought upon themselves on account of their their sinful right. state, but also their 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 actual sins that they're committing against
0: God and right. his, uh, his decrees. Right. Yeah. So similar situations, similar themes. Of course, it's all the same God, and of course. It's Isaiah. It's 66 chapters of gigantic, broad scope. And so, of course, it's going to overlap with a number of the the minor prophets and even some of the other major prophets in some respects. But yeah, today I'm I'm hoping that, you know, like I was saying, it's a little less cryptic than last time hard to beat chapter 21 in terms of how mysterious it is. Um so so here we got chapter 22 and though it does start off with a very interesting title, um and maybe maybe I'll uh, ask you for your thoughts on that. But before we get into all of that, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening as we dive into this chapter today?
1: Of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God, most heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the book of the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for the words of your Holy Spirit, the word of your prophet. We ask that you bless us to discern both law and gospel, to discern your commands and demands and judgments, and your promises for us, your church. We ask that you bless our study in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, let's read just the the first few verses here. And that'll give us a chance to consider this title and uh, maybe even a little bit about, okay, just based on these first few verses, how does this seem to logically follow what proceeds? I don't know how much we'll be able to make of that question, but we'll give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but so here we here we go. Chapter 22, just the first, say, four verses. The Oracle Concerning the Valley of Vision. What do you mean that you've gone up, all of you, to the housetops, you who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town? Your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together. Without the bow, they were captured. All of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. Therefore, I said, Look away from me. Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. All right. So, you know, off right at the bat, this is definitely, this is some kind of um, castigation. This is some kind of chiding and correction that's coming from Isaiah here And uh, as we try to figure out exactly where this is being pointed here, he opens it up saying it's the oracle concerning the valley of vision. And uh, now that's not a phrase that occurs anywhere else in the Bible, is it?
1: No, well, and oracle is slightly misleading. But so uh, Hebrew scares a lot of people. But but Mm -hmm. Hebrew is very, 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 very important when we're dealing with uh, especially Isaiah, uh, but the prophets in general, the word you, we have is Massah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, massa, um can also be slightly confusing, but it's probably best translated here as burden, um, tying it into later prof- prophecy, like Zechariah um, and Malachi, uh, but it's also used in Jeremiah. And so you could say oracle, but I think the if we translate it as the burden concerning the Valley of vision. Um, we're, we're at least on a better track since much of this is a burden to those who hear it. Um, mm-hmm. And it ought to be, right? Um, the The preaching of the law in the prophets, minor and major, needs to be stern because the people um, lapse into, oh, like people do in general, lapse into sure. unrepentance so quickly, right? right. Um, and since these people... Are also supposed to be the visible church, um, right? These are. This is not just talking about Israel. It really is talking about the church of the believers and unbelievers present in in Judah. This is what's happening on account of your um, unrepentance, and this is the burden um, that right. you have to listen to, and that you are going to be laid with.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and we've had a chance to talk a little bit, um, a, a few times now because, because this word is commonly used in Isaiah to describe these different sorts of oracles. Um, and, and so, yeah, and we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the different dimensions of how that, that kind of makes sense. Um, the, the part that is unique here is this part. The that vision. says it's the Valley of Vision, though, right? So, I mean, is this a real place? If so, like, where is it? Um, why? I mean, it seems it seems like as we go further on that this is pertaining really to Judah and particularly Jerusalem, um, and, and that's kind of an odd way of referring to that city on a hill, Mount Zion, right? So, what do you, what do you make of it? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, on the one hand, it's not odd for visions to be given to prophets, right? So, um, whether, and depending on sometimes the visions, I think we, we, they can still be real while they're being visions, right? There's, there's the danger of, uh, or at least, uh, not a danger, but the issue of, if, if we say it's just a vision, does that mean it's actually real? The way we think about our dreams, right? Right. Um, the way, right. the way regular people think about dreams, they are, um, Freud helped ruin all of that. So right. um, when we think of visions, we don't think of them as actual reality, either portraying reality or or predicting reality like they certainly can and do for the prophets. Um, right. But God reveals his will and the future in vision to the prophet. Um, and when vision is used, it's probably helpful to think of it um as a vision given when vision isn't used it may not be helpful to go that route uh, there's there's a, a an issue in the not in the interpretation of Hosea where some people think that's also a vision the first three chapters there's um, disagreement right. as to whether or not he actually was married to Gomer <laughs>
0: Um, right, right, but, and, we, and we saw that a little bit when we were going over Daniel too. That you know, yes. sometimes it seems like there's a dream, and sometimes it seems like it's a vision that that occurs when he's awake, and sometimes it's unclear whether he's actually been transported somewhere, um, and he's just mm-hmm. actually just seeing it in, in an awakened state. Or yeah, so so yeah, there, there's kind of this this looseness with the term vision. The important thing, as you were saying, right? I mean, it it is. Uh, There's this prophetic connection, and it does have a strong connection to reality, whether it is God's heavenly um, perspective that he's sharing with us on the past or something Mm -hmm. um, that's predictive about the future. Um, But regardless, either way, a theological message for us here in the present that affects our current lives. And as we're considering what that message would have been for those people listening to Isaiah, that burden— that he bore and, um, and and was revealing to them from god um, that the part about the valley though right that 's kind of the of all the of all the words like burden, okay, that makes sense, vision okay, that makes sense, but it 's the valley part valley and it's the valley of vision, so the vision is some kind of connection to this valley so well what do you what do you think about the the valley part of this
1: well um, valley has a couple of of connotations in the Old Testament, you have the Valley of of Judgment, right? The Valley of Jehoshaphat, um, mm-hmm. where yeah. where God's judgment is given. Um, but valleys also there's the the Valley of Ahor, which um, ends up being the Valley of wailing and lamentation. So there is a I I think I mean maybe perhaps both of those are useful here. Um, mm-hmm. That. That when when valley is mentioned, right? Whereas height, right? A height mm-hmm. of Mount Zion. That's a glorious place. Um, right. Uh, a valley um, is a place where where you may be getting something else. Um, the Ezekiel later, right? The mm-hmm. Valley of the Bones. Um, right. Uh, but but thinking to things contemporaneous with Isaiah, I I think the theme, especially with the way the verses go, right? The theme of judgment. Um, right. The burden of the uh, now valley of visions we don't get a word like jehoshaphat in here I right? don't get to draw that uh, right. line but but I it certainly seems that we're we're safe to to associate uh, this valley of visions with judgment that god is bringing upon jerusalem
0: mhm right yeah and and I think that you you mentioned the valley of jehoshaphat i mean that that's one i think that that scholars have kind of considered that You know, maybe it is talking about that, that there is kind of like a valley, um, a kind of valley that in a a way kind of represents Judah as as an entity that has been judged. Right. And we and we saw that Mm -hmm. a little bit actually in the previous chapter, the way that, uh, you know, it's it's. Being addressed to, uh, you know, kind of like we kind of talked about this, is this talking about Babylon when it was under the rule of the Assyrians Um, and the Babylonians are going to take it from them? Or, or is this talking about, you know, Babylon when it's under the control of the Babylonians and it's going to be taken away from them by the Persians, you know, is unclear, but somewhere in there there is this description um the term I think was something like oh winnowed one, oh like oh threshed one, right? And and, and there's this sense that the the people of God, you know, are, are winnowed and and threshed and and we we see that language of course um in John the Baptist and that's like a a comparison that John the Baptist uses the same sorts of Isaiah language that you know he has his winnowing fork in his hand, his threshing floor is ready, um, he has his axe already at the root of the tree, the same sorts of judgment language, and so instead of depicting Judah as the as the tall mountain of God, Mount Zion depicting Judah as the valley of judgment, that valley of Jehoshaphat, or this vision and burden of judgment. And so I, I think that that way of um, piecing it together, as is, is you helped us to see, it makes a lot of sense of it as a way, as a prophetic way, as a, as a condemning way, as a harsh way of addressing God's people of Jerusalem here. Um, but so so we have we have that then okay so that's that's maybe the the title that's the kind of the perspective that can make some sense of this so then if you could connect it then with the the verses that we read here those like two three and four that we just took a look at um, it, it seems like he's he's chastising them for their behavior that um, it, it seems it's kind of kind of a little bit mysterious perhaps at a glance because he's saying that they've been you know defeated without really having been defeated and they're they're slain without being slain so uh, what what is this getting at
1: well right starting at the second half of verse one you have um the people seeming to rejoice right you are full of right. shoutings in verse two um yeah right to look to look upon as if they are victors but everyone right. everyone is taken away Right. Um, right, the pride certainly one ceases with Israel, but but the pride of of Judah does does exist. Right, they make it out of the clutches right. of the Assyrians. Um, uh, they have good kings who probably develop a healthy sense of pride, um, but health right pride don't board the fall. So, uh, right. a healthy sense of pride quickly degenerates into into arrogance. Um, and, and some argue that pride can never, like, can never be used positively, right? Zeal for the Lord maybe would be the right kind Mm. of pride. And then every other, every other use of the word pride is one that, um, will devolve into, into sin. So I, I would certainly point to the pride of Judah, um, and then, and then, um, the promise of, of the exile, um, uh, and and of the abandonment of of the princes, right? the right, The leadership of Judah at the end thinks all about themselves. Um, mm-hmm. they do not care for the people. They do not care for their um for the fourth commandment, for the fact that they are the authorities. God has placed there in order to care for the people. So the judgment of um you found were captured though they had fled far away, right? People are trying to. Escape from the coming judgment, um, mm-hmm. and um, then verse four. Um, Therefore, I said, "Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me. Um, that this this is what actually what the people deserve. Um, comfort doesn't belong here because of the severity of the the sin of the people, of their false right. pride." Of of their trusting princes and not in the Lord, um, uh, and of the judgment that will come to them from the hand of the Lord through through the earthly powers.
0: So so this is interesting, and I, I appreciate you mentioning the the siege of Jerusalem at the hands of the Assyrians. Because I do think that this, and this is, I think, pretty much a consensus that at least most of the oracle, if not the whole thing, refers to that event, right right around Mm -hmm. 700-ish BC, that the Assyrians came and they laid siege to Jerusalem. And we've talked about this a number of times because it seems like the first part of Isaiah here is about that theme kind of a lot. Um, And you've got lots of descriptions, especially in those first, say, like 12 chapters, the descriptions of the Assyrian invasion of Judah and the siege of Jerusalem. Um, And then even in the later chapters, these descriptions of the angel of the Lord being sent out against the Assyrians and striking the Assyrians down. And it being a second Passover, and in, in a certain sense, a second Exodus, then as God brings back His people, and and all the rest of that, and we we see we saw again and again in this first part of Isaiah how this at, at this siege of Jerusalem, it's a moment, it's a moment of triumph, it's a moment of God's triumph, it's a moment of God mm-hmm. protecting His people in the midst of. Uh, their enemy and and so what 's fascinating is that 's kind of been the depiction of this siege again and again, but here it, it's it looks like it's portrayed as a loss, like you know here they are, you know and they're they're like you were mentioning um they're up on the rooftop celebrating right tumultuous city exultant town right and uh here comes you know Isaiah is saying, like what are you celebrating about? you guys lost." You know, and you think about that, you're slain or not slain with a sword or dead in battle, you know, could mm-hmm. this perhaps refer to the the toll that the siege took on them, you know, that there are people mm-hmm. who were just who had died of you know, starvation and, um, and, you know, a lack of, uh, you know, sanitation and all the rest of it. Right. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, too, leading up to this siege, there were people who had been supporting Egypt. They were afraid. Yep. And we're going to get we're going to get to some of those people in, in a minute. Uh, some of those people saw the Assyrians coming, and they're like, "We're getting out of here because the Assyrians find out that we were supporting Egypt, so that's going to be the end of us." So it, it does seem to be a perspective well, on the siege of Jerusalem.
1: That's what did the Northern Kingdom in right? So right, the the trust in princes, um, the the false pride, it 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 it, it uh, doesn't have any favorites. Right. So the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom both put their trust in the wrong places. Right. and the, and the preaching of Isaiah directs um the people of, of Jerusalem um to pay attention one to where real victory comes from and two to actually lament their sin um because Assyria coming to Jerusalem was judgment on Jerusalem
0: mhm right.
1: right and the only and the only reason why they still get to rejoice albeit falsely is because God is faithful to his promise of Letting there be time for his people to repent, um, mm-hmm. Time ran to an end for the northern kingdom and still had right a hundred and twenty more years to run for the southern kingdom uh, right right way they would right to hear the preaching of the prophets, um for kings to live out the preaching of the prophets. Um, and And so it is important that that we realize that that balance of time. That God still permits us to read and preach from Isaiah 22, right? To hear condemnation of false pride um, with regards to victory um, right. when yes. when we when we are rescued from the snatches of of any defeat, right? Or right. Of, um, that that we look in, we look instead not to our own uh, strength
0: or team
1: or whatever the case may be, but instead to the right. one who provides the victory in the first place.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, and, and your use of the word team, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, this is an extremely applicable message for us today, um, and, and we, I hope we can talk about that in the second half of the hour, but first got to go into a short break. So everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 22 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back.
1: is dr. dale meyer have you heard concordia seminary's program word and work and intersection every week you can hear it on kfuo thursdays at 2 p.m central time we visit with many interesting guests about how the word of god applies to their daily vocations and ministries be sure to tune in and may the intersection of word and work be busy on your corner
0: Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 22, this oracle titled uh, The Valley of Vision. And we're looking at this here with our guest, Pastor Robert Paul, pastor and uh, headmaster at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. And we're just looking at these first four verses, and we'll need to, of course, pick up the pace. But we were just kind of talking about the situation here, how it seems like, Okay, this is kind of perhaps more straightforwardly talking about the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem, that familiar subject that we see coming up again and again in this first chunk of Isaiah, these, you know, first, I mean, really, uh, one through 39 really focuses on this event in particular. But you get this negative kind of perspective here. It's not like, oh, well, you know, the angel of the Lord fought valiantly for you and has rescued you and all the rest. This is this is the negative side about that. And so uh, we're starting to kind of, you know, unpack that. So wh- why is Isaiah giving the the mourning side, right? You know, as he looks away with bitter tears, you know, um, and it has to do with the pride of the people in Jerusalem. Um, and, and so we're going to get into this more as we go forward more about the first uh, the first really 14 verses really just unpack just like how prideful Judah and Jerusalem was going into this why they needed to be brought low low to a valley of judgment like Jehoshaphat right Um, and as we're going through here I always do want to invite our live listeners to call in with any questions or comments you might have for me and Pastor Paul. If you're in St. Louis, you can give a call at 314-821-0850, or if you're in Houston or elsewhere, you can call 1-800-730-2727, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, right, so we just looked at these first four chapters, talking about how this really fits well with the, the situation leading up to the Assyrian siege and just how, you know, it's it's in one sense, yes, it's God's salvation, you know, because he hey, he gets the Assyrians to, you know, call off the siege. They, they go back home. Lots of Assyrians were struck down by the angel of the Lord, but Isaiah kind of needs to remind them before they get to that point <laughs> until they reach the point, as you were saying, of repentance, which is why God brought this all on in the first place. They have to look and say, "Wow, we deserved this. This, this is punishment for what we did," um, and then they'll be able to rejoice rightly, right? But like they had to get there, they had to get moved to the right spiritual place first, don't they?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, a difficult task, whether you're the city of Jerusalem or just, right, a, a seven year old in the principal's <laughs> office, right? That, um <laughs> it it is it is hard um it, it, it's hard for the old Adam to die right to to recognize um that god actually wants to atone and take away sin and that you're not right. supposed to hold on to them um we we do not like giving these things up no and 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 that's why the preaching of the law continues um from old to new Testament to pulpit. Right. Right. Um, And only when we are broken and now, you know, a a siege is quite the way to bring about brokenness. Oh yeah. Um, right. I mean, the, uh, and, and it also sort of shows how, um, how strong the, the unrepentant pride was Mm -hmm. that it, that it takes a siege, um, to, right. to bring about people realizing that there actually are consequences for their sins. I think we're used to talking about sins in the abstract, and we're mm-hmm. okay with saying, oh, yes, I know. Um, but when you say outright, right, you deserve to die, then, oh, well, you've gone too far. Oh, you can't say that, right? Um, right? But the severity of sin it is true. Apart from the mercy of Christ, yeah, we deserve only the valley of judgment.
0: Yeah, that's really something. You know, we we say you know in our, in our traditional, I, I think of you know divine service setting three, right, and in, in that confession and absolution segment, you know, we say we justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment, right? Um, and temporal punishment. This is an example here of temporal punishment, a siege that destroys. So much of Judah, you know, like, you know, we, we've seen in the other chapters how, you know, it's it, the description is that all the the vineyards and the fields are going to be reduced to, to briars and places for just, uh, you know, pastoral life, living out in the tents. But don't forget about agriculture, right? Um, it's going to take this, right? This is going to be the temporal punishment. And you can imagine, right, it's something like this happened to us, you know, if we were under siege, if we were, um, you know, if. Heaven forbid. But like, you know, if we were under like, you know, bombing runs and another conflict or something like that, mm-hmm. surely we'd all think to ourselves, well, this is too far. This is terrible. If there is a good God, why would he ever allow this to happen? I truly don't deserve this. Right. Um, but there we mm-hmm. are in the confession saying we justly deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment. I mean, we are we're effectively saying that if a siege came, we shouldn't be surprised because that is what we deserve. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it is. We we deserve to die, um, and we kid ourselves when we sort of push it away. Now, the only right. thing that pushes it away is is the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, right? Right. Um. But but when when we stand like Jerusalem in pride, then we're no longer we're no longer under the the covering, right? We're no longer under right. that which Christ has has won on the cross and distributes through word and sacrament through the means of grace we are out on our own um
0: in that word covering that that's a really it's a really good uh, operative word here it's the word that we we're going to get in verse eight, so maybe actually it would be good to go ahead and read this next section, but right we see how when we go out on our own and we 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 go outside of god's covering of atonement and grace and forgiveness that he gives to us uh, richly in Christ and uh, extend also to his Old Testament people in Christ and the various means of grace that were there in the Old Testament as well. When we go outside of that covering, there's disaster. And that's the description that Isaiah gives here in these verses 5 through 14. So let's take a look at that. And just as you were saying, you know, this this is the preaching of the law that continues here. So picking it up in verse 5. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains. And Elam bore the quiver with chariots and horsemen, and Kir uncovered the shield. Your choicest valleys were full of chariots, and the horsemen took their stand at the gates. He's taken away the covering of Judah." In that day, you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you didn't look to him who did it, or see him who planned it long ago. In that day... The Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning for baldness and wearing sackcloth and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen, slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. That that last verse, I mean, says it just like you were saying there, you know, we, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And here is Isaiah, you know, just this is a very graphic depiction. This is so interesting because you mentioned it at the very beginning here, vision does not mean this is some kind of hypothetical thing or these like kind of random thoughts that Isaiah had b- bouncing around in his head here Mm -hmm. i'm looking at this here and actually the lutheran study bible mentions this there's very clear past tense here and i think i think that this is actually first of all in the first part of this vision this is a clear description of what has already happened he's talking to these guys celebrating and and saying look guys you should not be celebrating this is what happened do i need to remind you of how bad this is and we're going to get to the future punishment in the second half of, of this of this chapter, but I mean, but here he is just showing how detestable their behavior has been, and how this siege, which was meant to bring them to repentance and sackcloth and baldness, right, like has for so many of them done nothing to this inconquerable pride of the human heart, mhm, yes, well,
1: and especially the pride. Of of the human heart, when you when when you have the wrong emphasis on God's election, Mm. Um, uh, because Judah survives, right? Israel's gone, and here's Mm -hmm. Judah. And what what does it say in verse eight? Right, in that day, you look to the weapons of the house of the forest, right? uh, Which which is one of one of the strongholds built,
0: right, an armory, if I recall.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. It's full of. It's supposed to be full of weapons and right. So they, uh, in in the later verses, right. You you did not look to me, right. They look to their armory, right. They looked to their weapons, um, for their salvation, uh, because they are Judah, right. They are, are Jerusalem. They are the city where all the houses are, the house of the forest, the house of of God. So so the pride. There can be a false. Pride, even in something that should be good, and generally that's the way it works, right? Um, right. We 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 turn what should be good into an idol.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, well, yeah, um, you can only turn good gospel, things into idols.
1: Uh, yeah, election should be gospel. Um, the the people of of God should recognize that this is God's mercy that they are His people, um, and and instead the the, their pride is their idol. They look to themselves, to their their weapons and their armor, and instead, right, the Assyrians are are filling their valleys. The horsemen well, it, are at the gates.
0: Well, right, and actually, we 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 saw that right in verse five. That's so we actually get yeah. there. There's kind of the answer to the original question we started with. That that there it is, the valley of vision. So it's this description, right, of the chariots overwhelming Judah. And maybe they're not riding around in Jerusalem, but everywhere else, including the valleys, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and so you have this description just of the chaos that the Assyrians wrought all over Judah. And I like what you're saying that you know it's there's definitely this idolatry here, and it's gone from saying like we're the alleged people of God and we rest wholly on His mercy, and uh, you know if as long as He covers us as He did. Um, you know, with his cloud and fire, you know, leading us out of Egypt, right? As long as we have his covering, we're safe, has moved to this this idolatry. And and on top of that, it's not even like they're thinking, well, we're invincible, right? It's not even like, well, you know, we've gotten this far because we're just that scrappy, and resourceful, and there's no way they can take us down. We'll find a way. No, it, it says there in verse 13. They're despairing. They, they they think they have lost, and yet, and like, and yet, even in like the face of total despair. I mean, that's what they say. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. They think that they're going to lose. I mean, they they think that their that that uh, their best chance is themselves. And so that's what they're going to try to throw at the wall here, but they don't think it's going to work. And so they're like, well, may as well party it up while we have, you know, the wine and the meat here still. Right. So, I mean, it's it's just it's it's devastating what sin does to us because it, it brings on like the idolatry and the pride, but also the despair. I mean, there's just there's just nothing good about the spiritual condition that results um, from all of this. And, mm-hmm. and that's why this gets picked up in um in Paul in First Corinthians even. Yes. So we're looking here uh, at this clear description of of law, of this clear description of the Assyrian siege. You know, you've got the description of the reservoir. We talked a little bit about that. You know, Hezekiah's um, tunnel um, from the Siloam pool to bring water into the city. Um, So all these things going on, all this planning, right, but failing to see really the master planner behind it all, as it says in verse 11 that God is the one who is really the only one who has who has planned their salvation and their escape in this case here, and uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so he- even Hezekiah is going to have to repent, and you know when when he does, I mean we're going to have a time of peace, so we're going to have this this light that goes out from Jerusalem as we saw in chapter eleven, um, as as the instruction, the word of the Lord is finally kind of brought off the dusty shelf, and you know people actually can have the fear of the lord and not just uh, the self-absorbed pride but we're going to have to have this this preaching of the law first. So here in the next portion in verse 15 is where it gets really specific. And if we had any doubts that we were talking about the siege of Jerusalem this is where it just becomes um, just right in our faces like we're gonna actually have these specific names mentioned so let's go ahead and read the the last chunk here because this, this is where i think it kind of shifts into this re, instead of a review shameful review of the past this is where we're getting to a little bit of the future prediction here and, uh, and maybe you can kind of walk us through so who are some of these what who are these names what are their what's their their role and their significance and all of this so here we are picking it up Verse fifteen Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward to Shebna, who is over the house, and say to him, What have you to do here? And whom have you here that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock? Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office, and you will be pulled down from your station. And that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, And I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house." And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring, and issue every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall. And the load that was on it will be cut off. For the Lord has spoken. All right so now we, we get to, it's really specific right we're talking about this law and this judgment kind of against Judah and, and Jerusalem as a whole but it's getting really specific now at one guy <laughs> Shebna namely so yeah. who is Shebna and why why is he like the target of this whole half of this uh, second uh, the second half of the chapter here. I mean, really, what a graphic image! He'll be uh, whirled around and around like a ball thrown into a wide place to die. So, who is this guy, and who is his replacement, Eliakim?
1: So, one can either go forwards or backwards. Right. One can go to Second Kings in in nineteen, or one can go forward in Isaiah to thirty six, mm-hmm. and find um, Eliakim, who's over the whole house, and Shebna the secretary. Uh, Shebna is called secretary in Isaiah. Shebna is is not called secretary in Second Kings, though. Um, mm. He's he's still in charge. Um, he just gets his title. So, verse twenty six, back in Second Kings, and Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah, they are the ones who speak to the Rabshakeh, um when the siege is in its height, and um, Hezekiah is inside. Um, they are the representatives that Hezekiah sends out um and Isaiah gives us more details as to um the wickedness of shebna uh, the faithfulness of Eliakim. on the other hand, it gives us a good example right so um <laughs> we're preserved the the examples of the saints and of those who aren't saints um mm-hmm. as Luther reminds us right so we can we can sort of know um <laughs> that we're not the only people to go through things. Uh, right. That, right, that those in the church do undergo uh, trials, uh, testing, uh, temptation, uh, and there are those who give in uh, to to such and are judged for it temporally, um, and those who do not give in and those who are rewarded for it
0: uh, temporally. And here you have that. That um, Right, Shebna punished alike him. Re- rewarded here. So as as we as we learn from from this situation here help us understand what was it exactly that was so bad about Shebna um in contrast to Eliakim.
1: Well, you have in verse 16, right, um carving out a tomb for yourself. Um when when you're under siege and and you are thinking about where you're going to be buried.
0: Um Right. Right, right, right. Uh, Just self, he's self-absorbed. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, it shows. I mean, all, all you have to do is sort of read the verse again, and you can see where the problem is. Right. Um, when you're when you're a representative of the king, who who is God's representative, um, it, it is not given for you um, to create your own tomb. When, of course, you're not even dead. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You're under siege. As earlier in the chapter, this this is a personal example of what happens to to pride. Um, mm-hmm. I, he does not put his trust in either the weapons in the house of the forest or in the Lord, and is, is rather preparing to die. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Right, so it's that you combination of a pride. And despair at the same time, right? Pride mm-hmm. in the sense of, yeah. oh, I am so important, right? And despair, like, well there's no way out of this, right? But at least i like, the nice tomb and be remembered. Okay. An
1: army at your gates is pretty terrifying. and and, and when when you get to to uh Isaiah thirty six and you go over the speech of the Rabshakeh, Shekha, that's also rather terrifying. Um right? It it isn't it isn't for the faint in heart to be yelled at um in vulgar language. From a, an army that's just conquered everything that you know to the north, right? Um, and and so so there should be a fear of temporal punishment, a, a fear that should drive you to trust in God's promises, mm-hmm. not to wall yourself up in a tomb akin to like the, right. the Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado, which is the first thing that comes to my mind. But
0: um, <laughs> wow, I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection. But yeah, no, that's a very graphic. Uh, right. yeah, but I mean, well, I mean, though, though it's fit, it's fitting though, right. In verse 13, right. You know, eating flesh and drinking wine. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like in the cask of Amontillado, you can imagine this, you know, intoxicated person just, you know, calling out in the stupor of drunkenness as they are burying themselves alive. Right. I mean, sure. there is, there is something, uh, fitting to the comparison there. And, and so you see the pride is, is ultimately the, the biggest problem, Right. But also, we, we know that you know why why is he not going to going to the Lord because he had put his hope in Egypt. Um, and this is what we get elsewhere in Scripture that, um, like you mentioned in Second Kings, uh, that he, this guy was one of the leaders of the of the pro Egypt faction there in Judah. Okay. And there were these people who mm-hmm. were counseling Hezekiah to go different directions, and he was one of the guys that said, "Hey, let's throw in our lot with Egypt. Egypt will save us," right? And what have we right. seen already uh, several times in Isaiah? Don't do that. <laughs> send yeah. send well, the emissaries away from... That's right. The yeah, yeah, one yeah. Solomon. Hmm. Right? Oh, no, no, oh, of course. Horses,
1: don't get horses from Egypt. To us, it kind of sounds sort of silly, right? Right. Um, but, but, but the theme is present in all the preaching of the prophets. Don't get horses from Egypt. Just don't put your trust in princes. And, mm-hmm. and the irony right, should never be lost on us. Why, uh, sin, sin always relies upon itself. Why do you go to find your strength in the place from which God delivered you from slavery? Right. Why, but, why you do you exactly. look to mm. the rulers of the place um, that you were delivered from? Why do right. people, can, like, right, when they are sinning, why do they stay with it? Right. They hear the right, promise. Yeah. They know that God delivers. And yet... Um, they They spiral deeper and deeper down into their sin,
0: right, like some kind of Stockholm syndrome, we gain this fondness for our captors and even our enslavers here and so yeah. th- this actually makes good sense in a lot of ways that for this oracle to happen here in isaiah twenty two that the Egypt connection is there to some of the the previous chapters that we looked at with um, you know in chapter nineteen and chapter twenty so there's that connection running forward, and then you see here this description, so um, the Shebna here, this steward or this you know chief financier or treasurer or whatever mm-hmm. his position exactly might be called, a couple different terms for it. you know he is like a peg that will give way and fall. He is um, like this authority that's going to um, be cast out, and the authority is going to be given to Eliakim. He is the peg who will be established securing and, uh, su- and supporting Hezekiah and the house of David. And the language that's used here, Just we have just like maybe 60 seconds here, but if you comment on this, I was just struck by how it says, he shall open and none shall shut, he shall shut and none shall open. This sort of language describing Eliakim, literally, this is so reminiscent, right, of our Lord Jesus Giving this authority to the church, and he says, "You know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on hev- in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven." And so, in this small way, I feel like you get this little preview of the church here and the authority and the office of the keys. So, just like I said, so maybe like only sixty seconds here, but just con- some concluding remarks, and maybe if you'd like on that on that image. Sure. So, the fact that. The security comes from the Lord alone, right
1: eliakim's trust in the Lord shows that he's he's sort of worthy of the office, even though that doesn't technically matter since the office is what god establishes um right the um eliakim is faithful to the task that he's been given and and um and god God shows that he's working through the office that eliakim has just as he works through the office of the king um to deliver um right and to to protect uh here mm-hmm. in in Jerusalem. Um but we we should not lose sight of the fact that we're talking about the Old Testament Christian church. I always just call right. them Old Testament Christians. Um yeah. uh, and, and when the language sounds reminiscent, it's not because we're we're committing the sin of isogesis. Right? We're not mm-hmm. reading into the text. We are right. hearing um the way the church has always operated, whether it was the Old Testament church or the Church of the New Testament that we live in today, with the fulfillment of all of the prophecy and the promise, and the the fullness of the revelation of Christ.
0: Um, w- well, well, one. well put. Yeah, I was going to say I, I sometimes talk about the the New Testament Israel, but yeah, talking about the Old Testament Church is a very helpful way to talk about it as well. But all out of time, I can hear the music playing already. Thank you so much for coming on and being our guest today on oh, Nice right Strong Word, and we got to we got to have you on soon again. And uh, yeah, maybe, we might still be in Isaiah, but <laughs> <laughs> That's but uh, the yeah, way we'll, we'll see. Works, but I'd be happy to. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Robert Paul, pastor and headmaster at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time. Peace. You've been listening to
1: Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.